0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. Great to have you here once again. Today on the show, we are joined by exercise physiologist and a friend of mine by the name of John Quinn. Now, if you don't know John Quinn, he's a widely respected leader in the elite coaching field with experience across a diverse range of sports, along with extensive expertise in allied health. Now, have a listen to some of the highlights of his career. His career spanned for more than 30 years, and he's worked with many of Australia's leading athletes athletes. And coaches across sports as diverse as track and field, swimming, AFL, rugby league, tennis, cricket, bobsled and soccer. Just a few of his biggest accomplishments include, he was the sprint and relay coach for the Australian track and field team at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. He's the head fitness coach and the high performance manager at the Essendon Footy Club from 1998 to 2008. He was the Australian fitness coach for International Rules Series Australia and Ireland in the AFL. He's a high-performance manager of GWS Giants Football Club from 2010 to 2014. He's actually retaken up that role. He's the strength and conditioning coach, speed and agility coach at GWS Giants this year, which is 2023. He was the head conditioning coach with the Socceroos in 2006. High-performance coach for AFL All-Stars team in 2010. I mean, the list just goes On and on right now he's the speed and agility coach with the penrith panthers rugby league team and he was also the team coach in the athletic scene at the tokyo olympic games in 2021 today was a a really special conversation i messaged him a few weeks ago to ask if he'd be willing to come on i was really fascinated to talk to him specifically about technology that he finds really beneficial in helping him improve and maintain optimal health and performance not only in himself but with the athletes that he works with he's always got his finger on the pulse of what is moving and trending in the world of technology for athletic performance but more than that wanted to pick his brain about some practical steps that the average person can take, whether they're uh, you know just trying to get fit, they're relatively fit, but trying to refine it, or even a top-level performer who's trying to master whatever it is that they're doing. What is it that we can do on a daily basis or on at least a regular basis that can transform our health? It's a really good conversation, as it always is, with John Quinn. If you want more from him, make sure you check out the description in the link to this episode. But for now, welcome to the show. For the very first time, my friend and exercise physiologist, Mr. John Quinn. So, what are you going to tell us, tough guys? It's my usual, zero, nothing. I remember, um, I remember when we uh, very first caught up on my other podcast, Relax Running. Dean Huffer, who put me on to you, uh, physiotherapist here in Melbourne, said uh, you are not going to meet a more interesting bloke, especially when you look at his calendar. He goes, he opens his diary. And it's just something from sort of 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. or whenever it is that he finishes. And, and you just told me before I hit record that today was supposed to be a day off and you, you're running around as it is. What's, uh, what's been on the schedule today?
1: I've had a couple of people for tennis today and done their speed, agility. We do a lot of work now. Um, just accelerative sort of speed is a lot of work I do. So I've also had a meeting with uh, one of my athletes and we've structured up their program. And then I've had a very interesting meeting, actually, with a lady who's in her 80s, and uh, she'll go nameless, but she was uh, she's the wife or widow now of a very prominent uh, New South Wales politician, but she loves her running. And uh, we meet up every now and then and talk about her running and what she's got to do. And, uh, you know, for... Uh, an individual now, she's approaching her 80s and she wants to run her best times for that age category. And she's as driven as any athlete I've ever worked with. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it, I find it very motivating. And, you know, uh, I, I don't really want anyone to know, but I've actually never worked a day in my life. And when you sit down with uh, someone like that, it just reinforces how blessed I am, you know, to call that my job it's uh it's great and uh very inspiring i love it what event is she
0: training for is she a sprinter or a Uh,
1: distance runner 100 and 200 and uh her big thing today was she uh she she's been told that uh uh strength training in particular power cleans could really help her so (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting and i'm not laughing at her i just think it's it's amazing that you know she's so motivated to uh to want to investigate what you can do to move forward.
0: Uh, it's awesome. I've actually been listening to a book called um, Outlive by Dr. Peter Atiyah. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've heard of him, but he's a sort of a health span, lifespan coach, I guess is the best way to describe it. And One yeah. of the things that he, he says is a lot of people have this idea that when they get into their 80s and 90s, they still want to be able to function. And he said, okay, but let's have a look at your life now and we'll put you on a little bit of a course and imagine it's a graph. So if you want to be able to carry your groceries home from the shops when you're 85, right now you need to be able to have a maximum grip of, you know, X kilos or be able to hold your body weight for a certain amount of time and you can't do that. So one of the first things that he'll do for people is start to get them on a little bit of an action plan, which says, okay, if this is where you want to be in 50 years, where do you need to be now? And a lot of us just uh, nowhere near. Where we think we should be in order to be where we would like to be, so it's inspiring yep. when you hear stories like that. Yeah, I, I get it. You laugh not because <laughs> we're laughing at her, but just because it's it's so out of the ordinary. You hear someone in such good shape at that age.
1: I think too, and it's a bit bit deeper, meaningful. Especially now, it's a, it's a poignant day. I'm, I'm not sure when people are listening to this podcast, but uh, you know, this is the day. Or yesterday, we found out that uh, Maddie Rendell, a uh, very famous person in Australian football. Uh, Passed away suddenly from a heart attack, and he's not that old. He's in his sixties, and uh, only last week, whilst I didn't talk to him, uh, I did say hello to him. We were at a a a funeral or a a memorial session for Craig Stewart, uh, who again isn't very old, and really, you live live today like it's the last day you've got because you we really don't know what's coming, and uh, yeah, make the most of the time you've got. So. Having an eighty-year-old wanting to power clean—that's pretty inspiring. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was actually listening to Peter O'Tier's book that made me reach out to you originally, because I, I know you've got your, your, your hand right into the elite performance sport. So, for those of you who don't know, Quinny, you—you well, could probably describe, but better, who you're working with. I, th- I think you're working. You said with the Penrith Panthers as well as the uh, GWS Giants here in the <laughs> AFL.
1: Yeah, the Panthers are down in uh, Melbourne this this week playing the Storm, so that'll be a big game. So I've been with the Panthers now for a couple of years. I, I look after speed, agility, and every now and then I'll do individual work with the players. And uh, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, my time, or I'm enjoying my time with Penrith. Uh, I'm with the Giants as well, so I spend a, a couple of days a week with, uh, with GWS. I've got a pretty good squad of athletes that I work with and see them a few days a week. Another job that's probably a bit left of centre, I've been there now for seven years. I just spend one day a week at a private school here, um, Scots College, and uh, Scots, for those Melbourne listeners, is the brother school of Scotch, and uh, I mentor the boys there. So nothing to do with sport, um, nothing to do with education. It's uh, the Year 12 boys, and they're doing a special program, and I will sit down with them one-on-one for an hour, and we'll just talk about where they're at with their life and what's going on. And we talk about the challenges they've got from not being able to understand or communicate with the teacher to the issues they're having at the school through to home problems, um, marriage breakdowns, personal relationship issues, self-identity problems, life issues, study problems. Who knows? And my role is to listen and then put them into the direction that they need. But the most rewarding aspect of that, uh, that role is only this week, I've got about three uh, emails uh, from the boys. Who, one, One's goal, he wanted to uh, be able to work overseas in finance and he's got a photo of himself outside the New York Stock Exchange with a sign, I've made it. Uh, it's great.
0: That's unreal. Yeah, because by uh, degree, you're an exercise physiologist, aren't you? But I guess just yeah. working hand-in-hand hand with athletes, naturally the psych- psychological side of performance is, is if not um, as important I mean it is arguably uh, more important or at least at the very least as important as the physical training. So just by default that would come into the conversation of training and performance anyway, wouldn't it?
1: Uh, look uh, coaching is multifaceted and as a coach you uh, you know you wear many hats. And, you know, yes, I'm a, a sports scientist and uh, I've done all the nerdy subjects at university, but uh, even in doing those, like the my worst subjects when I was studying at school were the science subjects and mathematical subjects. Uh, I was more a humanities person and was, and so it's interesting that my career is taken me down a science path, but I treat it from a humanity point of view. So I say it quite often to people that uh, I don't, coach footballers I don't coach athletes I coach people and to get the most out of a person you look at all aspects of their life to allow them to come through now one significant aspect of that is their ability to move and so the biomechanics are so important and their strength is so important and uh, being able to run with uh, correct uh, coordination and speed and power all of those things vital of course but this doesn't mean Jack if you haven't got your head in the right space and your heart's not in the right space. So it's very important to be able to relate to people on those three grounds. And look, that's not for everybody, but uh, I found it's very effective. And look, at the end of the day, I'm not coaching for anyone other than the athletes I work with. And I'm true to me. You've got to be authentic. And uh, that's me. I coach people and I work with them on a physical level, I work with them on a mental level, and I work with them on a spiritual level. And, you know, spiritual, someone might think, oh, God, you know, eating all deep and meaningful and religious. But, you know, if I stand at the race at half time before we take the field and we're down by four goals, and I say, for God's sake, you boys show me a bit of spirit, would you? This pathetic, that first half. Let's go. I'm not asking anyone to just fall on their knees and bless themselves. I'm asking them to look within themselves to what is it that makes you who you are, what defines you. That, to me, is your spirit. So how do you bring the spirit out of a person? Um, And it's multifaceted. And uh, I've learned a lot over the last five or six years. I've been working with a number of refugees uh, at track and field athletes. And uh, the stories they've got, and uh, you might redefine spirit as um, resilience and commitment and hope and optimism. Well, all of those things. And, you know, again, I find that quite inspiring. It, It helps me to help them.
0: Uh, have you seen the documentary? I don't know if you've got time for it, Quinny, but there's one that's just come out, an eight-part series on Netflix, The Tour Unchained. No, I haven't. No, I, no. I recommend it. I was talking to uh, another running coach this morning about it, and it's interesting that you mentioned the the physical, the mental, and the spiritual side of performance because essentially, for those of you who haven't seen it, the documentary, it, it follows each team or about five of the major contenders for the Tour de France through the 2022 Tour. And it, it looks at not only the um, the courses, it looks at their recent form, it looks at how they've gone the day before, it follows some of the treatment. It's really interesting from the mindset or perspective of an elite athlete just to see how it is that they function. But one thing that becomes mm. really apparent really quickly is how much that spiritual um, side so to steal your phrase stands out. And it's usually, as you say, in a moment, uh, uh, there was one episode, I watched episode seven today, and there was a particular writer who, he was a French writer. I'm trying to think of his name, but it was his first time being offered the opportunity to actually go out there and uh, shoot for a podium finish. And with about five stages to go, he fell way off the back. He started to question his form and then just got a tune-up by by their club leader, Uh, not only him, but the rest of the team. And just to hear him speak about what his intentions were for the next week, and why they were his intentions, and just to see the way that he attacked the race. I mean, <laughs> spiritual seems like a pretty good word to describe what it is that they're going through, because yeah, I guess you're challenged physically and mentally to such a point that <laughs> I guess that's the the next level above both of those things.
1: Oh, look, you talk to uh, people talk about runners, and you talk about a runner's high. I I think runner's high is when you're. Uh, mental, physical, and spiritual all align. That's when you, you hit your sweet spot for running. And it happens in any number of sports, you know. Uh, the, but, but, you know, we're only interested in running. So that's where you hit it most. And whether it's, you know, the distance runner that's, you know, euphoric as they're running or the sprinter that's going at their maximum velocity, yet they feel like everything's in slow motion and they can take every, you know, nuance of what's going on around them that's that's the that's the true essence of running and that's what or that's that's the true essence of sport i think when all of those things align uh it defines why we do it
0: Yeah. I was speaking to my wife, um, Jesse, just, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but I've essentially been on a a six month journey of just navigating my way through bloody calf strains. And Quinny, some of that I'm ashamed (laughs) to admit has just been a a lack of knowledge and understanding of actually how to do it and no research, just thinking, yeah, I think I feel good. Get back into it. I think, I think I'm back onto a a winning formula. I'm trying to get ready for the Melbourne marathon in October this year.
1: I'm am a big fan of hope and optimism, but sometimes you've got to uh, divert back to logic. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. I, um... You
1: can convince yourself this is right and I'm okay, but no, look, you do have to sometimes strip it back and go through it. And uh, look, uh, when I work clinically as an exercise physiologist, so I come down there to Melbourne every month doing that. Um, you know, it's that's really what you've got to do most most times is just look back at where people are and. Injuries, people say they're bad luck. There's very, very few instances is an injury bad luck. Um, it's usually of your own making. You may not uh, want to admit it, but it's it's usually linked to um, uh, it's terrible load, poor training venues, so the surfaces aren't right, or you're doing too much, or you're not recovering enough. You know, or a combination of all of those things. You've got to strip that back. But what I find with a lot of the athletes I work with is that uh, it comes down to posture. And uh, um, once you strip that back, you have a look at that. I, I actually have been using a, uh, an app now, uh, uh, both in a clinic setting and with, with coaching. And it's uh, I don't get any plugs for it, so you know there's no return for me, but it's called Yoga, Y-O-G-G-E-R, And uh, you just basically uh, point your phone or your iPad at the individual and it will give you um, all the biomechanical markers. It it does it and it can show you where your imbalances are and and so on. And uh, I found that really powerful. I've got a a girl that I'm coaching at the moment. She's uh, actually a refugee from Afghanistan and English is... I don't even think it's a second language. I think it's about a tenth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> communication can be really challenging, but a picture says a thousand words. So when I put this in front of her, it just makes instant uh, instant uh, sense and uh, and away we go. So that's a really uh, simple way, but you can use it while you're videoing or you can take photos with it and it does the mechanical analysis for you. Really powerful stuff.
0: Wow. So is that something that's used just for athletes or is that something that uh, a person on the street who's just trying to improve posture um can use to, to make little changes there. You could do, anyone could do that
1: and have a look at it. Uh, uh, I I feel that for me, for what I do, it sort of pays for itself because I'm using it with, uh, you know, in the clinic setting and I'm using it uh, uh, with my athletes and, and you know, that's my livelihood. I don't know if I was uh, just doing that for fun, but look, if it saves you from an injury and three weeks of uh well, you yeah, know, it depends on how you uh, value things. It's not really that expensive, anyway. I couldn't tell you how much it is off the top of my head, but um, it's a very effective little app, and I, I do do use it quite a lot.
0: So, when you've got the uh, video or the camera on one of your athletes or one of the patients that come in to see you, is it giving you, um, as sort of the physiologist, pointers on what it thinks are a few standout points, or does it just show? No, no. So, no, it's... No. okay,
1: it's you to have a look at that. But it's amazing when you remove. Uh, the body from it and you're just looking at dots you can see the the malalignment of the individual it's so obvious to you that one shoulder sitting up like this you know yet when you're looking at a body it's not quite especially your own you can't see for looking but the the uh, actual dots that it puts on the uh the the key anatomical points it's as clear and evident as as you could want it to be yeah it's a great Great little tool.
0: I can imagine some of that would be genetic, like the posture. My wife. Well, I don't know if this is genetic. My my wife had a problem with really mild scoliosis a few years ago, and she got on an exercise program with with Karen Holzer, and she yeah. sort of pointed her in the right direction, and and it had stopped a whole heap of headaches and things for her. But what are some of the reasons that people are out of whack like that? What causes it? Oh, mate, it's it's uh,
1: it's a lifestyle. Um, uh, go down uh, to the local shopping mall and just sit down there for ten minutes. And look around you. Even you go to a coffee shop, and most people are looking down because they've got their mobile phones in front of them. So they're like this, and their head's on this, uh, on an angle. You know, your head weighs about five to six kilos. But when you put it on to this tilt like that, it goes up to more than 27 kilos. So you've got that weight going into your spine, uh, top of your spine. And then, you know, these the young kids, they're students. So they're spending a lot of time riding on their keyboards, working. So their posture's in that. Uh, position here like that which we call kyphotic so they're like that well that puts stress on further down the back and if you're then going to go out and do some running that loads down your hamstring so the thing we need to do is strengthen that and you know I've used this term a lot and I'm not sure who to really attribute it to so I'll claim it but it's really not mine (laughs) but uh, you've got to strengthen what you stretch and stretch what you strengthen so if you're in this position you know, you've got to stretch your front out and strengthen your back out to take you back into this posture so that you're more upright and uh, that will take the load off your back but you'll be able to run better. You know, people, uh, you know, especially the boys I've got coming in, you know, for running or even in the clinic, they want to have a bigger chest and they're wondering, you yeah, know, how much should I have to bench? Well, half the problem, it's not a bench. They need to work on their back so that their chest actually gets in the right position. So, but yeah, posture is is, uh, is key for me. So work on that. I, I see postures like the launch pad for performance. Think of a rocket and you're shooting for the stars. Well, you want a pretty good launch pad for that rocket. Well, my rocket are the athletes that I work with, whatever sport they're in. So I've got to make sure my launch pad is as solid as it possibly can be. And that starts with things like posture. It starts with things like um uh, their movement, their basic movement patterns and uh, the coordination patterns and so on. So get all those things in place and then the rest becomes relatively easy.
0: Yeah, I've been driving down to Melbourne. I'm in Point Lonsdale, so it's about an hour and a half on a good day mm. each way. And I've been doing that about three days a week for maybe the last 12 months. And at home, a lot of the time my work is done. I've got a stand-up desk and I'm trying to be more... Co- I, I am fairly conscious of it. Like I'll I, The majority of my training is I'll, I'll do some strength or flexibility and and some form of cardio i'm starting to introduce a little more stability and and just keeping things fun just trying mm. to keep it interesting to me um not a whole heap of coordination which is something i guess it's in another category but something i'm trying to stay on top of just as my young boy gets older so i can still beat him at one-on-one basketball but driving down to melbourne for the first time a little while ago i noticed that the the so my coccyx had mm. developed like a little bit of a dull pain and I I went to the gym like I always do each Wednesday, and uh, I was going through my deadlift routine. Went through a warm up set, and I, I felt like a little bit. It felt slightly weak just at the lower part of my back, and I thought, okay, well, I'll take it easy. So I only I went up to seventy kilos, which is um, you know usually I'll sort of push towards ninety or on a good day maybe a hundred for some of the reps. And I went to seventy, which should have been comfortable. And after about the second rep, I just felt this. At the time, I had no idea what it was. The next day, I realized it was a strain. And Mm. oh my goodness, Like the uh, just the lack of function or the function that you lose through an injury injury like that absolutely blew my mind. But it was sort of a double-faceted interest point to me because the first thing was I think the weakness had developed when I'd just been spending so much time in a weird position in the car and then also just having a a bit of a wake-up call as to how important spinal health is. I mean, there are two things that I probably knew But I'd never really experienced directly, um, you know, and it took about Uh, a month.
1: No, I see it a lot. I mean, uh, everyone knows it, but not very many people actually understand. And it's very difficult to understand unless you're experiencing it firsthand. And look, it's probably not from sitting in the car. That just highlights or exacerbates the condition that you've got. But uh, uh, a lot of it comes from, uh, again, lack of strength in your postural muscles of your low back. So strengthening those muscles, you know, I hear people say, oh, I don't do strength work because I'm a distance runner, you know, I don't want to get big. Well, that's, it's not about being a distance runner. That's a, You don't understand strength training. You don't have to get big doing strength training. Strength training doesn't have to equate to being a bodybuilder, you know. So mm. uh, you need to strengthen those muscles through there. Uh, one of my favourite forms of strength is actually Pilates. And Pilates is really underrated, I think, for track athletes, particularly endurance-based athletes, because it's really postural and movement. And it's about elongating muscle length. Um, it's actually strength training for ballet dancers, but um, it translates very well for, for runners. But, again, we spend a lot of our time in flexion. So flexions when you're, like, seated and think like an L, that's flexion. But when we perform, we're in extension. So that's a straight line and pushing back behind you. So... Again, from a training, a coaching point of view, I really enjoy giving my athletes things like hills and sleds and people think, oh, you know, you just like that because it gets them fit. Yes, it does get them fit and strong, but it also puts them, it exaggerates that position of extension and movement through that full range, which is what we're trying to to get. So maybe if you are experiencing that, I'd be talking to you about without having a look at what's going on from a postural point of view, I'd if it, all of that's okay, I'd be then looking at how do we strengthen your postural muscles of your lower back. Um, I wouldn't be doing deadlifts for, for strengthening that, even though that is one. I wouldn't go there if you're having issues. Um, and then I'd be getting you doing activities like um, sled, towing a sled or... Um, Oh, hill runs. Just a gentle hill. When I talk about hill, I'm not talking about like Anderson Street Hill where you're slogging up the hill. Just a 10-degree gradient is all you need.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I actually – I during lockdown, it was here in Melbourne, I when the gyms were closed, Alice Bakey – I'm not sure if you know who that is. She's a, a running Pilates instructor. Uh, she's a friend of mine. She's been on the Relaxed Running podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, she invited me to come on to a, a course with her or a Zoom call where she had about 20 girls – and I'd been a regular in the gym for, you know, the last five or six years before this. So I thought, oh, this would be, be cute. Like big, strong guy like myself will come in and just show him how to, yeah. how it's done. <laughs> and Quinny, I think you know what's coming. It was unbelievable how many points of weakness I had in my body that I just had no idea existed. It's still, so, even as you say that, I've taken a mental note to maybe introduce it into the week of training again. But I think I've, I've become so uh, ritualized with the, three things that I mentioned before, the yoga, the strength and the running or the aerobic work that I just haven't really considered where to fit it into yeah. a, a training. Like, like would you, with that routine, I'm sort of doing one or two things every day as it is. Would you substitute a gym session for, for a Pilates session?
1: I, I, I would do that. So it would be the midweek session. I'd put that in because it is a strength session. It's just a, a different expression of that. You've just got to be careful. If you're only doing a couple of sessions a week uh, of the other strength that you're not going to get the adaptation. So I do, two, say, uh, normal, if you want to call it that, in the gym-based strength, and one of the Pilates. Yeah, Uh, I first got introduced to Pilates when I was working with the Institute of Sport down in Tasmania, and uh, uh, one of the physios there was quite big into it, and I'd never heard of it. And uh, I was applying that to my track squad down there, and I learned a lot about it. And then when I came to the Bombers in 1998, I, I had no real involvement with AFL up until that point at all. And... Some of the players were getting, um, you know, um, odd injuries. One, the it's not so wide. Of, it's actually making a bit of a resurgence. Is uh, osteitis pubis, where there's an inflammation around the pubic bone. And uh, I introduced Pilates to Essen Footy Club back in 1999, and I can remember Kevin Sheedy looking at the program. He's going, "What the hell's Pilates?" <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, a common thing now in. Um, in all footy clubs or whatever the code and uh, uh, across the globe. I think uh, it's a great a great methodology for strength. And uh, and even uh, when, I, again, I, I referred earlier to some of the uh, clinical patients that I've got, whilst they're not going to a Pilates class, a lot of the strength um, aspects of my programs are Pilates based in in what I'm prescribing. So one would be I uh, have a TheraBand and they're doing uh, getting to a, a Sit up position, and you're just going to cycle your legs, just push your foot out like a runner, but hold a theraband above your chest with tension so it activates your core. But you've got a running action. I reckon that is a fantastic strengthening exercise for a runner. Guess what? It's born out of Pilates, yeah, that's where it comes from, yeah. But you could do that, you know, this afternoon at home. Just need a, a theraband or something to provide you with
0: some tension. So you've got your you're laying down on your back, you've got your feet on your back.
1: In yeah, the... doing like cycling action, like, you know, just extending your foot. Imagine that you're running, you're lying on the floor on your back and you've got a running action, just extending one leg after the other, but above you, you're holding a band with tension uh, with your hands so you're not using your arms in the
0: running action. So what other elements are you doing with the clubs that you're working with? I know you said that speed and agility is a big part with the, the AFL boys. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you taking care of these other things as well, like in the gym, or is your focus more specifically on the field?
1: Uh no no more more in the field they've got uh, guys that are doing rehab and that type of thing I I do uh sports science and uh, I come up with crazy ideas really for um um for GWS especially. You know, I was trying to Nick pull, I he's the high performance manager at the Giants. You know, we're having a bit of a laugh. You know, I, I think laterally, and uh, so sometimes I'm thinking so far laterally, I'll meet myself around the back. You know, it's a, <laughs> bit, it's a, a bit of a nutter, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's good. Like, one of the things I'm actually looking at at the moment, like, as an extension of Pilates, this could be the biggest load of crap you've heard for six months, but um, is bungee fitness. And uh, um, I've seen them with them in shopping centers with young kids, but it's just like a bungee thing, and you're you're running, but. They've now started to use that in different places overseas uh, for non-impacting fitness and conditioning. So if you've got a lower limb injury that you can do at work and you get an enormous workout, especially for posture and for core. So um, I've actually put that proposal in already for the Giants that we start doing a bit of bungee for our guys who can't do impact. Like, um It's not that long ago that uh, a deload treadmills came in, you know, where you can inflate a bag around you and it takes the impact. So I could have an athlete running it, you know, just 20% of their body weight. It's got its pros and cons. Like I do use it um, if I need to, but it's got its pros and cons and it does change the way you run. But uh, look, it's a way of gradually loading. I'm a big fan of deep water running. There's no impact. But um, yeah, the concept of the bungee uh, where you're in midair and you can do all sorts of different things, it's really activating core. Look, again, training is all about uh, mental and physical. So if an athlete's getting a bit of a buzz from doing different training and it's getting them fit and strong, guess what the old spirituality belief will start to kick in and so whatever it takes as long as it's legal i'm there
0: yeah so so what uh are you in a harness i think i've seen what you're talking about is it where you're on a trampoline they've got the the bungee cords either side of the, the they, yeah connecting to the harness be, they could be
1: trampoline or you could just there is a way you can crank it up a little bit so they don't have full impact on the ground so they can they can do all sorts of things you can actually have them running in there and then just coming back and lightly touching the ground you can have them do light jumps up but it's a very much a core and functional control session so yeah stay tuned on that if we uh if it looks like it might be okay um i'll come back to you and tell you um how effective it's been. I'm just trying to get that one. Literally, pardon the pun. But I'm trying to get it off the ground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. It's uh, it's amazing what we laugh at on one day, and a couple of years later, it's. I mean, like that Kevin Cheedy Palatz example is classic. Probably in the late uh, in the late nineties, ninety percent of people would have been saying Pilates. It was just a foreign concept, like something like yoga. But I've noticed this since having having kids. My three year old is constantly on the move, and his whole life is just play. And I mean, I, I heard this stereotype about kids before. But I was having a conversation with uh, one of my comedian friends the other night, just how it's been such a reminder to me to stay fit and healthy, so you he can continue to uh, just bring that element of play. And it doesn't matter whether he's on a skateboard or whether we're kicking the football or whether he's walking over rocks in bare feet at the beach uh, and, and just trying to navigate. I feel everything that he's doing is just a benefit to his health, and it's it's no surprise just looking at him how much. Um, you know shape or fitness or whatever you want to call it we we lose as we get older because pretty much every element of what he does disappears from our life once we get into school and uni and uh, you know day-to-day life for, for the most part i mean there's exceptions to that but uh, yeah majority
1: we, of- we we place importance on things that we rightly or wrongly whether they are important you know when you talk about the innocence of uh, young kids i i love just observational coaching if you like and look at any young kid that you know a a preschooler and uh, they just live in the moment they're not even thinking 30 seconds ahead it can be dangerous sometimes walk with a kid along the street you know you've got to be with them because they can get away from you in a flash because they're not thinking about a consequence of what might happen in 10 or 15 seconds they think about what is important to me right now I'm going to do this and I'd love to have my athletes think like that sometimes just be in the moment and focus on what you're going to do at this very point in time. And I'm going to give it a hundred percent effort of everything I've got just because I can. And, uh, that's the innocence of youth. And, uh, but unfortunately we start to rationalize as we get older about this is going to hurt. And if I do this, I might get that. And if I hope, if I don't get that time, then this is, we start thinking consequence, we start thinking outcome and we focus on the wrong thing, you know, and, uh, and you've got to be careful, like self-talk is so important. I, I said to these young tennis players I had this morning, you've got to listen to how you're talking. In, in if you start a sentence with, oh, look, I don't think I can do that, you've already said I don't and that you can't do something. So that starts to become uh, what, you, what you believe you can do. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, look, we're going to do an exercise now, but I don't want you to think about oranges because today's talk is about apples. What was the first thing that popped into your head? An orange. So as a coach, I've got to be mindful of how I'm talking to my athlete about what I want them to do and what they are capable of doing, what they will be able to do, what they will feel, what they will see, what they'll experience, not what they can't do and what I don't want them to do. So it's positive coaching versus negative coaching. Yeah, Words are very powerful. We've got to be careful how we uh, where, how we use them. Uh, I read, uh, not so long ago that, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was that said it, but, uh, he said that's why we call it spelling because words cast a spell on our mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah Well, said.
0: well so. it's like training, isn't it? It's actually been one thing that I've been trying to be a little more focused on lately, not cause I'm incredibly depressed or down in the dumps or anything, but I, I've just done a bit of a mental check and thought this is one area of my life that, that I could really improve on. I think the physical training side of things is, is in a pretty good place, But I mean, the fact it's invisible is probably one of the things that makes it more difficult. But just I find cognitive behavior therapy really helpful just to develop a little bit more of a positive storyline. Because I think just probably the foundation of it is uh, just the routine maybe of kids. As much as I I love it, like and I I wouldn't change it for the world, just sacrificing so much of that free time had been a frustration for me. So I was like, okay, I know in 10 years time I'm going to look back at this With such sentimental eyes like why not bring that attitude into it right now and just as a result of bringing that into just being with my boys and 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 trying to challenge some of the um negative or not negative uh, probably negative takes i guess on a situation where it's like i'd rather be doing my work just going okay i mean this is like it's limited time that you get with your kid and then just through practicing that uh being out there at the skate park and constantly challenged i thought okay well why not try and introduce this throughout my my day and just catch myself and at the moment, I think I'm the equivalent of like a flabby man trying to take up running with my mental talk. There's so many times where I'll, and I'm getting a lot better, but there's so many times where I'll catch myself in like this, oh, I shouldn't be doing this now. I wish I could be doing this, uh, that it, it kind of shocks me. And when you become aware of it, it's really interesting just how much room you have to grow. And I would say that generally I'm a fairly optimistic, positive person. So, uh, mm. I, I mean, this is a, a double-edged sword, yeah. The same can be applied with exercise. A lot of people probably don't realize how inactive their lifestyles are until they start to implement a little bit of activity into their day-to-day life. You just become more and more aware of it. So uh, with the self talk stuff, where do you start an athlete with that?
1: Asking them what it is they dream about. What do they see their future as? What do they uh, see as successful? Because it's not about myself as the coach. It's about what they want. And once you take on board what your hopes, dreams, aspirations of the person you're working with actually are, then you start pushing them towards that. And uh, I think the most exciting thing is when they don't understand their own potential and you're able to plant seeds so that they slowly but surely understand their, their future and you're taking them, you're guiding them towards that. It's a very rewarding part of coaching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah apart from um I mean there's there's so many elements that come under the umbrella of physical performance and well-being as as we're well yeah. aware. Um what are some other things that you're doing with the the guys that you're working with whether it's the 80-year-old sprinter the the tennis players the footballers the whoever it is um is there anything else uh, that's grabbed your attention at the moment?
1: Oh I don't know if it's anything that's really grabbed my attention uh, with them that's probably above and beyond the ordinary. I think that uh, you just – I try to teach each of them as an individual. So it's what what comes up from those people. I think you've also got to be careful in there that whilst you're working with all of these people, getting the most out of them, and you were starting to allude to it a moment ago when you were talking about spending time with your young fellow, that, you know, you've got to be careful that you keep growing yourself, you know, uh, when you when you stop growing, you basically you're dying, and uh, you have got to keep moving and looking for different ways. You don't know everything about everything. How is it? How can you keep growing yourself? And for me, I've always come from the arty farty side, the literature side. I love reading. Um, you know, and I've got um, you know so much stuff that I'm always trying to take on board. Time is the big the big thing, and you know we're talking there about an app for biomechanics and stuff like that well there's so many different things out there now where you can get uh books and you just listen to them like a podcast and listen to books and and now there's um, apps out there that are um, basically around um uh, abbreviated books and you can I, i drive into work now say into olympic park it might be a 20 minute drive but by the time i've got there i've absorbed a book all the key points of a book and I try to take those key points in because whether we're talking about success in um, uh, on the track and getting to the Olympic Games, whether you're talking about success in I just want to shift an extra kilo, whether you're talking about success, I want to get that promotion and become second in charge of that department, whether you're talking about I want to be the best mum that I can possibly be to my kids, whatever you define as success, the rules are the same. And if you're listening to... Books in business on success. Just draw the parallels over the world that's yours. So um, the name of the the uh, the latest uh, thing that I found, which I think is really good, is called Headway. So that's another app that I use, and um, it just um, allows me to basically I'm absorbing seven books a week, and uh, I'm just taking on a lot of concepts. And I suppose I've got to be careful I don't drown myself in in uh, facts and figures and numbers and thoughts and theories, but um i love
0: it yeah and, uh, it, it sa- I, I thought you were gonna say uh blinkist which is another one it sounds very familiar what's might, headway yeah. is it a is it a sort of a rival brand yes, to yeah. blinkist and, that, i guess
1: that, well, yeah, yeah, and again i don't have any affiliation with these people i'm just uh, talking to you like we're down at the pub having a beer um but uh yeah no, that, that's just what i use and uh i find it's really effective i just plug it on in in there and uh you know, if I'm not listening to SEN on the radio, I'm listening to a, a book and, and someone talking about the virtues of goal setting or whatever it is.
0: <laughs> what uh, what book have you been listening to most recently? Uh, the
1: the oh gee, I've I've listened to one just this morning and it was on uh, all about goal setting and it was called Breaks and I listened to um I oh, basically you name these last, last books I could actually if you wait a sec I'll tell you. The last books that I've been listening to. Uh, here it is in front of me. No excuses. Um, I can't say it on your podcast. Oh, you but can. Un- I'm un- sure you un- can. Unfuck un- yourself. <laughs> yes. Uh, Talking to strangers. Uh, the power of the mind. Um, the eighty twenty principle. Uh, you know, giving yourself time is what that's about. And again, I'm listening to those abbreviations of those books. And if I really like them, like I. I listened to it first and I went out and got the book Atomic Habits. Oh, great and then book, yeah. work, And then it had a workbook that came with it. So I started working through the workbook, mate, really powerful stuff. And then I can then teach others, the athletes I work with particularly, on how to incorporate that into their lives as well. So. Yeah, I'm getting good value and I think my athletes are getting good value out of that as well.
0: Yeah, so you've got probably even a more efficient system than what I do. My go-to is I'll usually go to Audible. I'm not a member on Headway or Blinkist or anything, though I probably Mm. should be by the sound of it. But I'll download a book there and if I absolutely love it, then I'll I'll keep an eye out for the hard copy book or I might order it and put it on the shelf. Um, But what was I going to say? You said something then about… Uh, oh yeah, no, it was Atomic Habits. That was one that stood out to me in a, a big way because I'm such a goal setter. I love the idea of goal setting. And uh, James Clear, the author of the mm. book, he goes, "Well, your goals are fantastic, but what a lot of us forget is process." And yes. I, I love that yeah. idea. I was like, "Oh, that's been my missing link because it's all good to say I want to climb Everest, but maybe I should maybe I should take a hiking class or <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is." And well, I think so many. Some people, yeah. Some for some people,
1: it's taking one step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. It. Yeah, it's uh, it's it gained a whole heap of traction. I didn't realize how popular that was. I actually I went and listened to quite a few podcasts with the guy as well because even his story about that, how that book came about, was quite interesting. Just started with a blog and started some uh, put some blogs out there that got really popular. And I can see how it is because it seems to be one of the struggle points for a lot of people. Is we've we've got all these ambitions and dreams, but um I guess that key ingredient of process is one that, that too many of us forget. Whether you're, like you say, a, a mum trying to be a better mum or an athlete trying to make the Olympics, it applies equally to both of us. Yes, yeah.
1: And, you know, to achieve those goals, you've got to have a certain level of selfishness as well. And, you know, when you've got responsibilities, whether it be to your family, to your employer, whatever, it's very hard sometimes to then say, no, this is just for me. But you've you've got to structure your, your day in such a way that, you know you don't neglect the most important asset you have and that's you
0: yeah from your perspective quinny when you look at just the general population and i can imagine that this varies far and wide depending on where Mm. you're looking what are elements of just physical mental performance that so many of us are letting ourselves down with from a lack of exercise programs to lack of positive self-talk to you know anything else that you can insert under that umbrella of general well-being
1: no, I think it's um, sometimes it's out of fear of failure that uh, people don't set a, a realistic goal. They, they either just float. So, oh, no, I just want to get fit. I just want to lose weight. So there's nothing measurable on that. So, you know, what does fitness mean? You know, if um, you've been uh, in hospital for a year, fitness is being able to get out of bed and get down to the bathroom by yourself. But if you, you might call fitness, I want to uh, be able to complete the city to surf in Sydney or I want to do my first marathon, you know, it's, so you've got to put something on it and then put some quantifier what that is. So I think there's a lot of that. I think a lot of people talk about what they want to do, but they don't put any of the uh, ways you're going to measure it and there's no process about how they're going to get that. And uh, from a coaching point of view, that's part of what I'm, I've got to do is make sure I keep my athletes accountable to what we're trying to achieve and keep focused on that.
0: Yeah. What, what I liked about you from the first time I met you was we sat down at Olympic Park Sports Medicine. Actually, it wasn't Olympic Park Sports Medicine. Sport and Spine. I can never remember the name of the place. Yeah. In, South, South Yarra.
1: South Yarra Spine and Sports Medicine.
0: That's, see, it's probably a good thing. I haven't been there enough to have memorised the name just yet, which is a sign of good health, I imagine. But, uh, yeah, down there in South Yarra, I remember sitting there with you and you showing me the, uh, the aura ring. And to me, yeah. that was a this is about three years ago now, and it was unbelievable for, for me to see that because you, you showed me what just looked like a pretty standard ring, and then you started mm. to break down some of the elements of what it can do and how that's beneficial to performance. Um, and there's well, so it's, many... It's really, yeah, it really helped me. Like,
1: I've got it on there. It's, it just looks like a normal ring. And uh, uh, the Aura ring, uh, I got it because... Um, uh, back in 2014, I suffered from an autoimmune disease. So there was no warning; it just I just got hit with it, and uh, it was limbic encephalitis. So encephalitis is uh, an inflammation of my brain, and the limbic part of it is the most primitive part of the brain. So it's all about memory and things like that, and uh, uh, that really stuffed me. I spent uh, over a year in uh, in um, medical care, and then another 12 months of that after that in. Uh, supervised care and uh, there are a lot of specials and, and people around the world who the prognosis wasn't very good uh, in fact it's got less than a five percent survival rate from uh, the top of thing that I had and I'd love to say it was my fortitude it was my resilience it was my strength it was my character it wasn't any of that it was just God's divine intervention and a bit of luck thrown in on the side that I've come through that but uh, you know I've, um, I've been given an opportunity to go for it again and uh, and impact as many lives as I can going forward. But one of those was I needed to get my own uh, life in order. And part of that, uh, what really got affected, and I, it is a part of the brain in terms of relaxation, but I wasn't sleeping. I was only getting three or four hours of sleep a night. And it's it's not uncommon for me to be up even now at five o'clock. But, uh, the aura ring has really uh, enabled me to measure and, and and understand my sleep patterns and cycles so i'm now averaging around about seven seven and a half hours of sleep a night which for me is fantastic and uh it's made a real difference because the harder you work the harder you need to recover and the most important part of recovery is actually sleep and you know we have this thing that if you have a nap during the day that that's not a good thing but it is a good thing. And uh, you let your body regenerate and then go again. Uh, yeah, you've just got to take that time out for yourself. Just like you're taking time for training, you've got to take time for resting. And, and resting isn't sitting in front of the TV watching a movie, it sometimes is just having a good sleep. Mm. Get to bed.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's always the first thing to go for me. I, I can tell whenever I've had a bad run of three or four nights with sleep, it's not uncommon for me to get, usually, it's sinusitis. Or some form of a cold, and this has sort of crept up a, a couple of times since having kids. Because, as as I'm sure you'd know, there's there's more than a more than a couple of nights where a good night's sleep just isn't even an option if I want to stay married. I mean, as much as I try and handball it to Jesse and say you take care of it, <laughs> that last that lasts ten minutes until um until I'm I'm out on the couch or in the doghouse or wherever wherever else I need to be. But uh, what? So did you say the autoimmune disease was the reason that you weren't sleeping, or it was part of that one of the consequences? <laughs>
1: The it, it, consequence of it. It, 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 it affected that part of my brain. And uh, so, uh, yes, but I, it, it's gradually got better. But um, one of the other things I've done I reckon has uh, been interesting is I've supervised, uh, co-supervised, a couple of PhD students uh, through Greater Western Sydney Giants and also through University of Western Sydney. And uh, it also came from encephalitis where I lost a bit of function of my right eye um, and it wasn't tracking right and when I was in hospital they brought these glasses and they put these glasses on and they were literally tracking the movement of my eyes and I like had a little epiphany there like imagine how we could use these for sport because that's tracking your eye movement and whatever anyway sure enough we can use them for sport and so we got some in at the Giants and the, super, the supervised study I was involved with was um, tracking the eye movement for decision making and when I looked at our best players at the Giants, I think of someone like Toby Green, he's got this um, really impressive search pattern that you can pick up from these glasses of what he looks at in a given period of time. And if I give that to someone who's not skilled, it's less than a quarter of the the visual scope that he's got. So that was important for me coming from a non-AFL state such as New South Wales because I was looking for talent amongst a population that don't know how to spell AFL. So I'm going out to Western Sydney and I want to know, I could measure their speed, I could measure their ability to jump, I could measure their VO2 max, but now I can measure their ability to make decisions. But one of the things that I wasn't aware of from doing that was sleep impacts on your ability to make decisions. Now, that's in a sporting context, but intuitively I also believe that also would impact on our day-to-day decisions. In fact, I believe... We make dumb decisions when we're tired. And I think experience would probably tell most people that that's true. But, yeah, we've got a long way to go in that study. But I think that where we're looking at that now is doing uh, work in the area of concussion, which is very um, uh, popular now. But eye movement is also impacted on things like concussion. So I wouldn't be surprised in the coming two to three years where you'll see games like AFL where players will be putting on Apple uh, virtual reality goggles after they've had a head knock and we'll be able to assess straight away where they're at with their visual. We'll be able to say to a player, you need more rest and recovery because you're not ready to to do high, involved, complex tasks. We'll be doing that on work sites to make sure that uh, the, the um, people that are working there are ready to go. Uh, I think we're moving into exciting times and it's all through the eyes are going to tell us where we're at so the link between decision making uh things like conditions like concussion and brain health they're all they're all coming into one for me and uh yeah i'm looking forward to to that side of things i mean um i did a talk a week or so ago to a bunch of of students and i told them i'm really envious of you like i'm 58 now and over the next 30 years things are going to jump forward, which means that in 30 years you'll be 48 and you guys are going to be at the forefront of this stuff. You're going to be driving it. And I, if I'm still here, God willing, I'll be some old fart sitting in a wheelchair watching you going, I knew this was going <laughs> <to."> <laughs> But I think things like that visual search, I think things like nanotechnology, like the stuff that we've got like GPS units on, players' backs are measuring. We're going to have that in just a thread now. With nanotechnology, it'll be just in a thread. And we're measuring things from heart rate to sweat rate to whatever. It's all it's all coming. It's an exciting future for anyone involved in science, but anyone involved in sport. If you think things are really bang now because of that new app you've got on your Apple Watch, you ain't seen nothing yet.
0: Yeah, I mean the AFL would be excited about that because I know that these head knocks is a really big focus point for them at the moment. In fact, the first time I'm not sure if you saw it the other night. I was watching Geelong playing. Who were they playing? It wasn't. It wasn't the Giants. That was the week before. Oh, they're playing Melbourne. And Gary Rowan accidentally knocked out Jeremy Cameron, um, both chasing the ball. And yes, I saw. For the first time, the the AFL said, oh, "Okay, we're not going to replay this because it's quite graphic." They changed their mind after about twenty five seconds. They said, "Okay, we'll show you a we'll show you a less graphic view of it." Um, yeah. but I thought, uh, I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Take like there's there's obviously a lot of discussions happening at the AFL for a decision like that to be made because for a lot of people, it's almost a drawing card, or at least it view it draws in uh, highlight reels on on YouTube. So the fact that there's technology like this, which is actually going to be able to a bit of benefit, I'm, I'm sure, gets, um, you know, both players and, and those in control of the AFL pretty excited. Oh, it,
1: look, I think we're drawn to, um, uh, you know, it's almost like gladiatorial sports. We've been doing it for thousands of years, whether it was the um, Christians in Rome or whatever coming through to now and you look at uh, Australian football, mate, the the impacts. And, like, when I sit on the sideline in, in uh Rugby league, some of the boys at Penrith, mate, their biceps are bigger than my quads. (laughs) They're massive and they run into each other, you know, at 10 metres per second. And and I wince when they hit each other and they just do it and get up laughing. You know, you look at American football and the impacts that are going on there and on it goes. Look, that's the entertainment value of sport. But the consequence of that, particularly with head knocks, I think we're only just starting to understand. And we're starting to see it um, show itself in things like dementia and Alzheimer's and these sort of things, conditions that are impacting the brain. And you know, we're going to start living or we are living longer now than what we did even 20 years ago. The lifespan's getting getting greater. And yeah, we need to understand more about the brain. And I, I don't think we've I think we've respected it, but we've respected it from a, a removed position. We've got to really understand how this is uh uh, how it works and and what we can do to uh, rehabilitate from injury, not like Jeremy Scott. And I think sports come a long way. Yeah. You know, mandatory timeout from the game is a is a massive step forward. You know, it used to be a badge of honour if you come back and played that game or in the next week, but it's not such a badge of honour when you're burying those people and they've got uh, degenerative brain conditions that are likely linked to those. Um, Gladiatorial head knocks.
0: Yeah, uh, CTE isn't it? Is is? I'm not mm. sure if that's the only one. I'm sure you know, you'd know a heck of a lot more about this than me. But I watched a, a really sad documentary about an NFL player which was the Alex Fernandez. I think his name was, yeah. and it was the first time I'd heard of CTE. I had no idea, and I still have very little understanding of of uh, NFL. But you know, you watch some highlights, and you can see how much impact's going on there. But just conversation around you know, things like head injuries, dementia. Dementia, I'm, I'm trying to think of this couple. It's an American couple, and uh, I don't know their titles, but essentially they're committed to the study of dementia. And uh, they were breaking down some of the facets of what can lead people down that road. And even though we're living a, a longer period, like I sort of touched on at the start, uh, Peter Atiyah speaks about how so much of that longer life is not necessarily healthier. It's just we've learned to be able to extend the duration of, you know, sometimes it's healthier and sometimes it's just life. But mm. um, they looked at things like exercise and diet. And, and and one of the big standout points to me, Quinny, um, and I don't know this is an interest point for you, but I've started to hear a lot about, you know, the the process that, first of all, that our, our processed foods go through, but even things like fruit and vegetables, some of the Roundup sprays and the, I think they call it glyphosate. Um, mm-hmm. They've started to look into the, the impacts on that, on things like cancer and, um just general health and well-being and for me uh, as a guy who had thought he'd had his finger on the pulse of what good health was it, it just seems to be a, a thousand miles deep the tunnel of how it is that you can improve because even when you think you're eating a really good diet uh, i don't know how much of our food has glyphosate on it but it seems that there's there's even more room for improvement where you you probably didn't realize there was yeah, well,
1: you know, I think there's a lot of, with uh, going back on my own stuff, I, I decided I'd do more study because I was prescribed 27 different types of medication that I was going to have to take for the rest of my life. I didn't want to do that and uh, I thought there must be more natural way to do this. So I went, uh, I did a um, a grad cert in uh, nutrition through Deakin University and I wanted to go th- through Deakin and do it online uh, because they wouldn't know anything about uh, the encephalitis that I'd had and think, oh, the poor bugger will just put him through. But I also wanted to be able to retain the information because I had issues with memory and recall. So having to do a formulated study where I could be assessed and I either knew it or I didn't and got through. So, you know, I've got a couple of degrees on my wall, but the one I'm probably proudest of most is my in nutrition just because it, it represents far more than just doing a course at university. But I'm quite convinced that... Uh, the long term implications of refined foods is uh, is not going to be happy reading for us. And in fact, I think future generations will look back and go, "What were those guys thinking? Like, fancy eating that or doing that?" And uh, you know, I I think another area too will be the uh, the whole DNA around um around nutrition. And I think if you are from, say, I'm um Irish background irish heritage where we've been eating carbohydrates for more than two thousand years with all the potatoes and everything else um i think my uh, nutritional needs and and base is very different to one of the west african athletes that i'm coaching that really had a high protein and a very simple carbohydrate um, diet and water uh, you know for pretty much their whole existence and then suddenly you introduce them to these different foods and i even look at indigenous australians up until white settlement here in australia their diet would be significantly different and you know what we think of as weight sometimes is bloating Mm -hmm. and bloating comes from infection and i think that yeah we're killing ourselves sometimes with food yeah gotta be careful it's a whole the whole new area coming well it's already here but it's an area of, of great uh Uh, great potential, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, One thing that was really interesting for me, when my wife was teaching, she, for a couple of years, she went out to an Aboriginal community called Yalina in South Australia. Mm, And she said, yeah, yeah, she said as soon as she got there, one of the the most standout features was your your welfare payment would come through. And there was a local milk bar, which was taking the piss on prices, essentially, because they knew that a lot of the community would spend it. And so many of the people, um, uh, Jesse was explaining, they don't have the same value on money as you know what a um you know like a, a Australian society has at the moment they're, they're not as obsessed with this idea of a, a big house they just want to go down use their money and uh, they'll buy coke and they'll buy processed food and uh, it was just a, a I guess a lack of education but she said one thing that was uh it was just really sad to see first of all how they were just taken advantage of from the locals who had a business idea and they knew that the welfare money that was coming in would just go out just as quickly but then you also said it was not uncommon just to see money laying around on the street because people would sit down. They didn't really have an appreciation for what it was. They didn't look at it in the same way that you and I would, as though it's like this treasured commodity that had to be mm. taken care of. And it is interesting, like that whole conversation of just going back to a natural diet, whether it's here in Australia or American Indians or wherever it is that you look, that, I mean, there's so many benefits that come with being able to store food for a longer period of time, but I guess that's a flip side of it as well. People, um, you know, lose that relationship with food, which I can imagine like the, um, the Aboriginal world would have been super in touch with. Yes, yeah. No, no, I,
1: I think it's, uh, you know, I think some, well, I really believe we've got to go back to, to getting back into that wholesome stuff. But, you know, the reality of life and economies of scale and big business don't know how that'll happen so you, at the end of the day you've just got to take uh, responsibility for your own life and your own choices yeah and you know, it comes back to what you just said about education it's, it's education but I think as much in your story before it's a uh, it's as much about opportunity and what you've got uh, as it is about uh, the education side it's a uh, having the opportunity to or choice and sometimes they don't get the choice and you know the bigger um, markup or the bigger value is in uh, highly processed foods. you know they can um, it's probably cheaper to ship you in a can of Coke than just to give you a bottle of water.
0: Yeah. It, 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 one of the things I've been learning about a lot recently is just seed oils and how it's contained within everything. Um, I went down and bought a thing of butter the other day and it had it, was, it said on the, the front it was spreadable. I, I've never really bought butter. <laughs> never, I've only just <laughs> developed a little bit of a taste for it. But um, I was looking at the container and it said it was spreadable, and but it said it was organic. And I got home and 30% of it was like a canola oil and mm. a, a, even me who I, I got fooled by the organic label thinking oh okay if we're going to do butter we'll do the organic version then you get at it home it's not even like most of it or at least a, a good portion of it's not even the thing that you thought you were buying
1: yes yeah, yeah. no no it can uh, it can be a, a challenge but oh you know they're, they're they're things for us to to move forward and in the world i work it's about making sure that the athletes i've got understand that but um it's, I'm probably lucky in a way that I've got a number of athletes in my squad that have come from a very impoverished background and they're, you know, from Africa and uh, different parts of Asia where they haven't had access to a lot of money and a lot of foods like this. And they'd no sooner go to McDonald's and have a Big Mac than they would, you know, walk naked down the street. <laughs> that wouldn't even cross their mind. And, uh, you know, they, they just look for their their, their right foods, of uh, what they've got. But, yeah, it's about... Um, yeah, you have got. I've got to catch myself sometimes because it's pretty easy to start your day off with a, a coffee and a, a biscuit rather yeah. than uh, something that's a bit more holistic and wholesome.
0: Yeah, before I let you go, Quinny, i tell you, I used to train with a Sudanese guy called Dua Yoa and he moved to Australia, I want to say, when he was about 10 or 11 from Khartoum in Kenya, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, in Sudan. He had a really wild story about how it was that they got out of there. Um, just things that you can't even imagine. But in terms of relationship to food, I remember living in Ballarat one day and we were driving down to – do a really difficult workout. We had eight by one K with a minute recovery that night. And uh, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, oh man, I'm so hungry. I wish I ate before we came. And I said, oh, like, what have you eaten today? He goes, no, I haven't eaten since yesterday. And uh, for me, just, uh, I just, it was unbelievable that that was even an option. So you talk about the relationship with food and for, for him, I knew his family pretty well. It wasn't uncommon for them and not because they were Um, poor anymore or they were struggling it was just so how they had lived growing up that it didn't really even cross their mind that hey it's breakfast it's lunch it's dinner
1: yeah well that and they're they're so used to that but see i bet he's changed now he would have adopted this a western western uh life i i one of the more you know sometimes you get a lesson and you don't think there's nothing there to get i i went to uh india for cricket and I worked with the Indian Cricket League for a while and I was with the team from Bangladesh. And about three months I, I was working with the team from Bangladesh and I was in this tuk-tuk with this day with one of the players and uh, this poor Indian uh, was peddling his little tuk-tuk thing along and there's a little a little boy, he's probably about eight or nine and he's yep, 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 yep. And the, the tuk-tuk drivers uh, telling you know, whatever. And, uh, and I said to the uh, Bangladesh guy with me, what's he saying? He's saying, he's telling him to piss off. And, and uh, I said, but the kid kept, kept, kept coming back. And I loved his persistence, this kid. And we, we got caught in the traffic and this kid and they're going for it and this little boy's arguing with him. And uh, I said, what's he saying to him? And he said, well, the driver's saying if he doesn't go away, he's going to get off and hit him. And the little boy's saying back to him, you do your job and I'll do mine. And the sad thing about that as we went on in the traffic, I thought that little boy's job is a beggar. And I reckon if I went back to New Delhi today, I'd probably find him there because that's his limitations and his options of life is so narrow. His job is to target foreigners to get money. You know, I remember putting my hand in my pocket and I gave him the equivalent of 20 bucks, which was probably a month's salary. And I I just slipped it into his hand and he disappeared back off into the, you know, bloody crowd of minions. But uh, I'll never forget that. Mm. You do your job,
0: I'll do mine. Far out. Said with a said with a whole heap of cheek as well. <laughs> <laughs> Queenie, I could talk to you all day, but I'm gonna let you go because I know you gotta get down and uh look after your athletes. Mate, thanks so much for um for, for coming back on. Always great to chat.
1: No, no, I hope it wasn't too deep and philosophical and all, but uh no, always great to chat, mate. And uh all the best if there's something here that's uh Triggered the interests of anybody? Uh, please make contact through my website. I'll get back to you for sure.
0: Yeah, all right. I'll uh, I'll link that in the description for anyone interested. All right, Quinny. I'll leave you to it. See you later, everybody.